So I want you to picture for a moment, say there's a man, I want you to imagine this, he's constantly coughing the whole time, has that cough like you may have had through this winter period, constantly coughing, can't stop the coughing, the coughing is just getting out of control, so eventually, after not being able to sleep at night because of all the coughing and everything, eventually that man goes to the doctor and the doctor decides to do some tests and in the process of doing some tests, the doctor actually discovers that the man has cancer and that's why he's coughing. But the doctor in his weird wisdom decides that the news of cancer would be too much for the man, it would be too upsetting for him, so what he did is he just said, hey, you just got a really bad cough, Here's some cough medicine and some medication that will help you. The man goes home and he starts to take the cough medicine and the medication and lo and behold, his cough actually improves and it starts to stop. So he thinks that it's just a cough and that it's not cancer. You see, I have so many people come and talk to me that are struggling, hurting, stressing, cheating, Lusting, spending, worrying, quitting, medicating, avoiding, searching, coughing. Basically, coughing. They share their struggles, they unload their frustrations, they express their discouragement, they display their wounds, and in some cases even confess their sins. And they've got to this point where they think that they know what the problem is. They think that they've nailed it. They just can't stop coughing. They think that the coughing is the problem, just like this man at the doctor thought that the coughing was the problem. The thing is here is that what most people talk about when they come with their struggles and their fears and their apprehensions, most, what people mostly talk about is the symptoms rather than the true illness. Most of us, when we go to the doctor, we go because we're coughing. Coughing is not the illness. Coughing is the symptom of an illness. And most of us, when we're struggling with things and avoiding things and having anxiety and fear about stuff, that's just a symptom of what is actually the illness. And the thing is, is that the Bible says this, is that the true issue for all of us is not the coffin, it's not the stress, it's not that. The issue that all of us have is an idolatry issue. I can remember vividly when I was younger and some of you guys know this story, and I've told it plenty of times before, but when I was 15, 16 years of age, I had a, a major pornography problem. I had a huge pornography problem that I just couldn't seem to overcome, and, 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 I, and I got to this place, I got to this point where I decided to go to my youth pastor and, and tell him what was going on, and, and I, I can remember vividly just the, the anxiety in me as I told this guy what was happening, because I just got to the point where I really wanted to deal with it. And I, and I thought that, you know, this, hopefully that as we sit down, he'll give me some practical tips, you know, so that I can get over this and move on with my life and, and not have it a problem in my world. And I can remember him saying to me, Craig, you, you actually don't have a pornography problem. And I wanted to kind of interrupt him and go, excuse me, I do. Um, he says, what you have is a worship problem. You're worshiping the God of sex at the moment rather than the God who made you. You have an idolatry problem. You have an idol that needs to be dethroned because sin doesn't just spring up out of nowhere. It doesn't grow from some kind of seed that hasn't been planted. It grows from something that has been planted. And, 
And all of us, including myself, if we dig below the surface of our symptoms, we'll actually discover what the problem is. You might be sitting here going, Craig, I think you're, you're making a bit of a big deal. Idolatry, really? I think you're making a bit of, big deal out of nothing. Well, maybe some of the stuff that you're struggling in your life is, it's not that you're making a big deal out of nothing, but could you be making nothing out of what is actually a big deal? Because idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Idolatry is the one sin that all the others come from. Under the surface of all our struggles is a false god. And until we dethrone that false god and the God, the Lord, takes his rightful place, we will always struggle to have victory because idolatry is not an issue. Idolatry is the issue. We can have all sorts of different symptoms, but the issue is always idolatry. How do I know? Because the very first of the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 20 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Egypt is a symbol of the world to us, who saved you out of your sin and your heartache, out of the land of your slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. Unfortunately, when we read that in Scripture, if you're like me, you start to think a hierarchy is. God's at the top, and then other stuff comes underneath. Yes? Does that make sense? But here's the thing. God isn't just first place. God says there should be no other places. It's not God first and the second, third, fourth, fifth. It's just God first. There should be no other places because God isn't interested in competing against others or being first among many. God is about being the one and only one. In fact, the Hebrew word, therefore, before me means in my presence. He's basically saying there will be no other gods in my presence. You shall have no other gods in my presence. God doesn't sit at the top of the organizational flow chart. God is the organization. God isn't something that sits on top of something. He is everything. You might be thinking, man, is, is that because is that God's insecure? Maybe God's insecure. Maybe that's why he said this. No, he's not insecure. It's the truth of the universe, which is his creation. You see, God owns it and God operates it. Only one God designed it. Only one God knows how it works. And he is the only God that can help us. He's the only God that can direct us. He's the only God that can satisfy us. He's the only God that can save us. And so he's saying, hey, man, you've got to understand, I'm the one that made this. I'm the one that made you. I'm the one that made the universe. I know how this all works. And there should be no other gods in my presence when you're in my presence other than me. I should be it for you. You see, Israel, when he's speaking to them right now, they've just had come out of Egypt where Moses led them out of Egypt and they just spent 400 years in Egypt in slavery and Egypt had so many gods it was unbelievable. Uh, uh, some historians say there's up to 800 different gods in Egypt. It would be so confusing wouldn't it? Hey? It's so confusing they'd be exposed to hundreds of gods. So when he says to them as they come out of Egypt you should have no other gods before me He's basically saying to them, I am cancelling all the other God's activities. They will no longer exist between you and I. It's just going to be you and me. 
He makes sure that they understand the very first thing as they come out of Egypt is that I am your God, the one, the only, no one else. He is the Lord God. Now, some of you might be sitting here thinking the problem today in society is not that people serve other gods, it's that people don't serve any god. They just don't serve God. That They don't worship God. But I would argue with you that there's probably more gods today than there was then. They may have had the God of the hunt and the God of agriculture, the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of reproduction. They had all these other gods. But we, we have the God of the portfolio, the God of the car, the God of the house, the God of sport, the God of adult entertainment, the God of the gym, the God of my image, we have other gods. We do. And if it walks like an idol and cracks like an idol, it's, a, it's an idol. And I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this so that you can understand that beneath my struggle, beneath the surface, there's an idol that's taken root, a God that has taken root. Because when we think idol, we think a little fat Buddha figurine or the cat at the takeaway shop. That's what we think. But God says that an idol is anything that takes the place in your heart that he should hold. And what he's trying to help us understand, and hopefully you'll understand through this series as we lay a foundation today, is that God does not say this because he's insecure and God does not say this to condemn you. He says this because he wants you to understand that the reason why you're having some of the struggles you have is because under the surface, something has taken the place of the throne of your heart instead of being at the feet of God, the throne of your heart. And if we would just readjust things a little bit and understand that, I guarantee you that some of the struggles and the stuff that you go through would dissipate. You can call it a cough, but if it's cancer, it doesn't make it any less deadly. You can call it a symptom, but if there's an idol, it doesn't make it any less deadly. Here's the problem though. I don't know about you, but as I was preparing this series, and I have been for about six or eight weeks, something like that, as I, I started to think, well, I was trying to identify idols that I might have. Yeah? Apart from the obvious, an incredibly good body. Apart from the obvious, I was trying to find the... That was just a joke. Not delusional. I was trying to identify some gods in my life. And what I realized is it's actually really quite hard to identify some of the gods that I have in my life because they don't come with the trappings of religion. It's easy to identify religious gods, yes? It's harder to identify the ones that we have. In fact, most often the things that become gods in our lives aren't even wrong things. They're not even wrong things. Because God's not against pleasure. God's not against sex. I know, I said the S word in church. God's not against money and God's not against power. God's not against any of those things. If you read the scriptures, you'd understand that God is for all of those things. He wants to give you the desires of your hearts. He created sex. The world and the media did not, and Hollywood did not make it. God made it. God wants to give you the power to make wealth. He's not afraid of those things. He's given you the authority to speak over principalities and powers, to stand on scorpions and all those sorts of things. God's not afraid of power. God's not against those things. None of those things are immoral. 
None of those things are wrong. They're not immoral. They are amoral. They don't have any morals to it. There's no, there's no moral attached to any material things. They are amoral. And the problem with those things is it's not that they're immoral or amoral. It's a problem that eventually in time, if we're not careful, they become, instead of being neutral, they become not neutral. Why? Because we usually touch them. And whatever we touch, we bring our preference to. Money can be an incredibly good thing, but it can be an incredibly bad thing in the wrong person's hand. It's not money's not the problem, it's the morality of the person that's touching it that makes it immoral or for good. And so you can have some really good things happening in your life, and they're not necessarily bad things, but if they have become more important to you than the God side of things, Without you realizing it or not, your marriage could have become a God for you. Your family could have become a God for you. You can be doing something that is very commendable, be it your family, be it your career, be it whatever it is that you're doing, be it a worthy cause, and these are all good things, but the problem is the moment something takes place of God, the moment it becomes the means to an end in itself, rather than something that we lay at God's throne, it becomes an idol. When someone or something replaces the position of God in our lives, then that person or that thing, by definition, has become our God. So to identify the gods that we have in our lives, we need to look at what we pursue and look at what we create. Because the first commandment, as we heard just before, is have no other gods before me, but the second one is really interesting. In Exodus 23, it says, you must not make for yourself. Everyone say, make for yourself. An idol of any kind or any image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. So the first one says, just don't have any other gods before me. And the second one is, don't make idols. Don't make gods. The wisdom of the second commandment is that anything in the world, because it kind of covers it, doesn't it? Anything in the heavens, on earth, or in the sea. Kind of sums up everything, doesn't it? The wisdom of the second thing is that anything can be hammered into an idol. Anything in our lives, we can hammer it into an idol. It can become a false god if misplaced at the top of our affections. It's called DIY idolatry. We make it for ourselves. We make it for us. You choose from a handy assortment of gods, mix and match and create your own. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we tend to do that. We can do that. Psalm 106 says this about the Israelites. It said, the people made a calf at Mount Sinai. So Moses is up the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And they couldn't even wait a few days before they start melting down the gold and making an idol to worship. God's just... God has just brought them out of slavery, brought them across and starting to look towards their promised land, the thing that God wanted to take them into. And they couldn't even wait a few days for Moses to come down with the instructions of the Lord. They had to worship something. The people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before an image made of gold. Listen to this. They traded their glorious God for a statue of grass-eating bull. They traded their glorious God 
the God that saved them, the God that rescued them, the God that delivered them for a grass-eating bull image. You see, it's not a good trade. It's not a good trade to trade the creator God for the God of your own creation. It's not a good trade to trade the God that created everything for something that we've created ourselves. And I don't think, if we're really honest with ourselves, that we're really much different to the people in the book of Exodus. We replace God with statues of our own making all the time. A promotion to a job with a corner office or a team that wins a championship or a body that is toned and fit. I'm not against any of those things and God isn't against any of those things. But when they become more important to you than Him, they become a God in our lives. We work hard at molding and creating our golden heart, golden calves. And the thing is, is that when you look at this, you could say, and I would say, and we could all say, that that means that anything, anything, you can make into an idol. You could take issue with anything that someone's devoted to anything to and make it out to be idolatry. And I'm not asking you to go away and analyze every single part of your life and go, oh, that's idolatry, that's idolatry. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm trying to show you that maybe under the surface of some of the things that you're struggling with, you're dealing with a cough when actually there's cancer. When you're choosing someone or something over God, the Bible calls it idolatry. And here's the thing. As we just said, anything at all can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. Anything that becomes the purpose and driving force of your life probably points back to an idolatry issue if the driving purpose of your life is not him and his kingdom. You see, even goals can become gods because you start to serve the goal. You start to live for them, sacrifice for them. In the beginning, it was about money serving you, but now it's about you serving money. At some point, what started at a good thing has switched roles and now has become a God. A God is what we will sacrifice for and what we pursue and ignore at a cost. I've seen this time and time again in people's lives, and I don't mean to pick on anyone this morning, but I've seen this happen when guys and girls come together in relationship, people will sacrifice all sorts of things for a guy or a girl. I, I know he's not a Christian, but I'm believing he'll get saved. I'm believing that that's going to happen. Yet the Bible says this, don't be unequally yoked, but we'll ignore that and we'll do what we'll, we'll, we'll sacrifice. We'll do things with a guy or a girl that we know that we shouldn't do until we're married to try and keep them. I've heard, I've heard the stories. I've been around long enough, I've been in ministry, youth ministry long enough and pastor in church long enough where I've heard people get pregnant on purpose to try and keep their partner. They are paying a price, they are sacrificing part of them to try and keep that person around. Whatever you're prepared to sacrifice for and pay a huge cost for, you know, when my brother, I shared this with the youth on Friday night, when my brother was younger, he, he was going out with a girl who was, um, I won't say what I said on Friday night, I'll put it this way, um, think lady dog, and that's the kind of girl she was. 
It's the PC version. She was horrible. No one in our family liked her. My parents' heart broke when he started going out with her because they knew her and she'd been out with so many other guys before. Before long, she had seduced him. They were sleeping together, you know. And then one day, I, I found them in a situation at our house that I knew mum and dad wouldn't be happy about. My brother and I, we were best friends until that moment when I said to him, how dare you, how can you do this to mum and dad? This is their house. And he just threw his whole entire family away for this girl. Ended up shifting out, flatting, mixing him with the wrong crowd, started selling drugs, ended up getting done for credit card fraud because his life just spiraled downwards because he chose this girl and sacrificed family, relationships, everything for this girl that three years later cheated on him with someone else. What a price to pay. But she had become an idol, a God in his life rather than the God. I've seen people do that with their careers in such pursuit of money and success and finances that they sacrifice their wife and their children along the way and they end up in divorce because he's been working so hard to get further ahead in his career to provide more money for this family that doesn't even know him because he's never home to spend that money with. The career's become a God. He's serving it instead of what he should be serving. People that buy a house and they throw everything, and I'm not saying that these things are bad things, they're just bad when they get out of control. Oh, except for my brother's situation. It's just bad when they get out. Working hard in your career is great. The Bible says work for your boss as though you're working unto the Lord. That's a good thing. But it's when it gets out of control that it becomes a bad thing. Buying a house is a good thing. Renovating it is a great thing. But when you're sacrificing being connected in church on Sunday and, and doing all that sort of stuff because you're renovating your house, friend, you're paying a price. The house is becoming a God in your life rather than the Lord, the God, the King of Kings. Think about what you have pursued and created and ask yourself why. If you have a food addiction, why? Why do you have a food addiction? If you have a hot button issue that gets you upset every single time, why? Why does it get you so wound up? If you're planning to go shopping this weekend even though you are drowning in debt, why? Why are you doing that? If you say, oh, I'm just not budgeting well. No, there's a God underneath the surface where you think by buying more and more new stuff and cool stuff that somehow it's going to satisfy you. But you're drowning in debt. You're serving something that's not him. If you spend countless hours fixing a car and redecorating a house at the, at the risk of time with your family and your wife, why? Why are you doing that? Not that those things are a bad thing. It's just when they become the thing that it becomes a bad thing. You see, I think we've got to rethink idolatry We've got to discard the golden cow and the figurines and think of it in a different way. So I want you to think of idolatry as a tree, a big tree, a massive one, with branches everywhere and branches off branches, like big, massive tree. You know, like one of them big suckers, big trunk, big tree. All right, are you with me? Big tree. All right. And from each of those branches dangles certain things. One branch dangles a pot of gold and another branch dangles foods of all kinds. 
Eiffelet steak wrapped in bacon with a red wine jus. Mm, let's just pause in this moment. Another branch is a big mirror that you can stand in front of and admire how wonderful you look. Another one that has been beautifully crafted and, and, and been whittled away and crafted and formed into this beautiful image of two, figure, two human figures entwined in this sensuous embrace. And then on another branch is a these amazing keys to a brand new luxury Rolls-Royce Phantom. Or maybe you don't like those, so let's go with a Ferrari. Or maybe you have real taste and it's a Mazda CX-5. Can I get an amen from all the CX-5 owners in the church? You know you're going to heaven if you have a CX-5. And on another branch is keys to a batch at the beach with million dollar views. All the stuff coming off these branches it's a bit of a peculiar tree because it has many branches, each with a curious item attached to it. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. Idolatry is the tree from which our sins and struggles grow. You see, the branches aren't the problem, the trunk that has created the branches with all these things on it is the problem. And your problem is not what you see as symptoms, it's the trunk that creates the symptoms. And that trunk, in most places, is idolatry. Idolatry is always the issue. It's the trunk of the tree. And all the other problems are just symptoms and branches. And I don't say any of this this morning because I want you to feel condemned in any way. In fact, I hope this morning that is what happened for you is you've gone, ah, that's how, that's how the enemy is trying to destroy me. I think it's this problem when in reality it's this problem. Because the thing about the enemy is this, is that in case you didn't know this, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him, the scripture teaches us that he was in charge of worship in heaven. He was in charge of all the worship, of all the songs about how holy and majestic and amazing and awesome God was. And the scripture teaches us that one day, as all this worship was happening towards God and how amazing God is, that the devil, Lucifer at the time, a guardian angel, said, I want some of that for myself. And that's when the problem began. The problem began when Lucifer decided that he wanted to be God. He wanted to be his own God. So he started to fashion and make things so that things would come towards him instead of towards God. And as we read on in the story, God figures out what's going on. He kicks Lucifer out of heaven and a third of the angels went with him. A third of the angels that had been sucked in to worshipping Lucifer instead of worshipping the God that created them. You see, idolatry has always been the issue. It's always. The Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. If you eat of this tree, you will be like God. 
They were already like Him, created in His image, but they didn't get to be God. They get to be in the image of Him, worshipping their Creator, the God that created them. Idolatry has always been the issue. You see, when I have, and I'm not belittling this, if you have this right now, but when I have fear and anxiety, then what I have done is I've made the lie that I believe the God of my life, instead of believing the truth that sets me free, the God that created everything. Fear and anxiety is a sin because it worships the lie rather than worshiping the God of the promise. And what happens is we evolve our whole lives and build our whole lives around a lie that we believe, trying to avoid pain. We don't even realize we're worshiping a God that is not the God, the Lord God. And what I believe that God wants to do for you and do for I should be for you and for I body language out of control this morning is this in the book of Revelation God said this to one of the churches you do all these incredible things you do amazing stuff but this one thing I have against you that you have lost your first love you have got so caught up in the doing that you've lost sight of being in love with Jesus, in love with God, making Him the God of your life. I read something this morning as doing a devotional about marriage and stuff. And the scripture they shared this morning in the devotion was this: it was seek ye first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. And I've never really seen it this way, but he said, you know, if this guy said in his devotional, if you would, in your marriage, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Make that the priority. Make that the number one thing. Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Then God will bring all these things that you need into your marriage. Now we can so often make the mistake where we try to create, I said this last Sunday night, I understand this now about God that I didn't understand probably two months ago is that God creates the seasons in our lives and we activate the moments. Most of us create the season and ask God to turn up in the moments. How you activate the moments and the season that God has put you in is by seeking kingdom and righteousness first. By making Him number one, by getting back in love with Him, nothing else nothing else all I need is you it's about putting him back onto the throne of our hearts it's about putting him back in the right place it's not that those things that you're doing are necessarily evil and wrong because they're good things but you need to reposition them in your world you need to lay them down at the feet of Jesus and trust God that God who is good on all occasions the God who works all things together for good for those who love Him in accord, according to His purpose. A God that came to give you life and life more abundantly. 
the God who can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask, think or dream of, the God that sent His Holy Spirit to be on the inside of you. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead abides in you. The same God that says that I am for you and not against you, that no principality or power can stand against you, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The same God that says, I want to prosper you. I'm gonna give you the power to make wealth. The same God that said, I provided forgiveness. I provided righteousness. I provided all the things that you could ever need. My grace is sufficient for you. My mercies are made new every single morning for you. That God is just saying, can you make me number one? I I don't wanna share you. I want all of you, just like Rimmer said. And the way that He gets all of us is when we give all of us to Him. Because when we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. And maybe those things that you're struggling with, maybe those things that you're so anxious about, the problem is is that we have created our own thing instead of reaching out to the Creator, the God that is for us and not against us, the God that has a great plan for your life. He knows what you need and He knows what you want, but He's saying, hey, seek first me. No other gods before me. No other gods in my presence. Because the hills melt like wax in His presence. When we make Him number one, friend, all these things that you worry about, that you're concerned about, all these things, when He's first, He just takes care of it all. He did that on the cross for you and I. He said, sin's a problem. i got a solution. I'll die on the cross and I'll take care of it all past, present, future. They're out of relationship with me. Not a problem. I'll take care of it. I'll provide a way for them to come back into relationship with me. This is going on. They got sickness in that. That's okay. By His stripes, they'll be healed. I'll take the punishment. I'll be whipped and beaten so that they can have healing. When you, when you start to think about what God has done, how could we worship anything else? And what more do we need than Him? Than Him. We'll look at the Scripture a little bit later on in the series, but there's this great Scripture that Joshua, at the end of his life, brings all of Israel together and he says this to them. He says, hey guys, you can either worship the God of your ancestors, Or you can worship the gods of the Amorites in the land that we're in. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to worship the Lord. What a sad state that Joshua had to make that statement at the end of his life. When the God that he was talking about had brought them out of the land of Egypt and out of slavery. The God that he was talking about had brought them into their promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they were prospering and they were conquering and they were getting all the desires of their heart. And then he had to say, hey guys, you can serve the God of your ancestors. You can serve the God of the Amorites, the land, the land that you're in, or you can serve God. What a sad state of affairs that he had to mention that because obviously some of them had started worshipping the gods of their ancestors. The gods of their ancestors got them to Egypt where they were in slavery for 400 years. 
the God of the Amorites were the ones that they were fighting and brought pain and heartache and war and fighting to their lives. Or you could serve the God that brought you out of slavery, set you free, delivered you, saved you, restored you, healed you, prospered you. What a sad state of affairs that Israel in one generation had forgotten all the things that God had done for them. And they'd started creating gods of their own rather than worshiping the one that brought them free, delivered them, saved them, set them free. I don't know about you, but as I think about what God has done for me, how could I in my life forget that so quickly that I create gods out of other things? I don't know about you, but I want Him to be number one in my life. I want nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Nothing else. I don't want anything else. Just Jesus.